Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argyris and this week I'm looking for the best coming of age book. To help me are two young lads coming of age. (laughs) Nick, are you going to grow up a little bit this week? We're all going to learn some things about life today, aren't we? To help us learn some things about life are two high school English teachers, Ian and Joe. Hi, Nick. My name is Joe Holshue. I've recently come of age a little bit more. I turned 38 years old yesterday, which makes me feel like I'm just, death is right around the corner. Um, To help me figure things out as I go through this very important part of my mid-30s, late 30s, um, I read read a coming of age book this week, (laughs) recommended by Lit Head Joe. Boy, I'm in my mid 30s. Oh, I'm 39. <laughs> I saw a thing about this that you're you're um you're in your early 50s until you're 54. You're in your mid 50s until you're 50, like 57 and a half. Very humorous, Joe. You brought a book. I brought a you book. Said? It's called okay. Boy Swallows Universe. It's a super good book, and it was recommended Lithead recommendation. Wah, 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 by Lithead Jill. I have more to say. Uh, so this week I brought a book. Hello, Litheads. My name is Dr. Ian DeYoung. I am a high school teacher of mathematics this week. What? No, no, it's a lie. I'm still yeah. teaching English and I will until I die. Um, this week I am as old as I ever need to be. And so I brought a book called On Earth, We're Briefly Gorgeous by MacArthur Genius Grant winner, Ocean Vuong. What a name. These are two very captivating titles. And captivating names. Ocean Vuong? The story, wait, 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 wait. wait. When you say name, do you mean name of author or title of book? Um, I mean, obviously it's a great title, but name of author, Ocean Vuong. His his name, his mother, his mother's a big character in this book. Um, She was a manicurist, manicurist. Um, she was talking about going to the beach and she was pronouncing it not beach, but bitch because English was her right. second language. And, uh, her, her customer said to her, maybe you shouldn't use that word. Try using the word ocean. Instead, I'm going to the ocean yeah. and <laughs> honestly, a nice thing for a customer to say, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, she loved the sound of the word ocean so much. She renamed her son ocean renamed. Wow. How old was he? Was he 38 too? My <laughs> <laughs> mom. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who, who told you that? Fun fact that is how Joe laughs. <laughs>, <laughs>, <laughs> If you could rename yourself, what would you rename yourself? What would your new name be? I would name my I would name myself you, you don't know lit podcast.com. Oh. <laughs> yeah, sell it to the highest bidder. I love that. So, uh, Sony, Nike, um, whoever wants my name. You could get one of those face tattoos. Yeah. Should we all get too. face tattoos that say you don't know lit? I think face tattoos are becoming more and more acceptable. So I, <laughs> yeah. I think it's a pretty good idea. Instead, <laughs> But we'll spell it across all of our names. So we need to be standing by each other for it to make sense. I'll be you. Uh-huh. <laughs> Joe, you can be don't. I'll be don't. Oh, and can we also get those, can we also get those, um, those tattoos in the face that say I'm with stupid and they point to the person next to you? Pretty good. Oh, that'd be funny. Yeah. I like yeah. the idea of having don't tattooed on my face because then when students are acting up in class, I can just walk up to <laughs> them and stare at them menacingly and point at my head. <laughs> don't. That's good. <laughs> don't even think about it. And Ian, you would obviously be lit. 
Um, Obviously, which is also good. That would go nicely with your party, your party lifestyle. Yeah, right. Everyone knows. Everyone knows. Like um, Nick is the grandfather of this podcast. Joe is the ship's captain, and I am the party animal. We we give these these vibes. These just classic archetypes that we just nestled right into. Well, welcome, Litheads, to You Don't Know Lit, a weekly, or as we call it, strongly podcast, where every week, strongly podcast. two high school English teachers, Ian and Joe, bring book recommendations, and just to upset one of them, we and we the authors a, of the book, we pick a theme, <laughs> <laughs> we pick a theme, and we, uh, what else do we do? And we also pick a winner. I had someone um, come up to me the other day and just say, Ian, evil cars. I was like, yeah, baby. <laughs> That's great. Gentlemen, stay on track today. We have some uh, rules. Rule number one, only unavoidable spoilers, preferably none. Otherwise, I'll edit it out and you'll be banned from the show. Rule number two, omit needless words, Joe. And rule number three, only winning matters today. Just like it does every day. Yeah, just like it does every day. And in life. Litheads, if you're not not winning. What are you doing? You're losing. And if you're losing. (laughs) Yeah. You're a loser. Joe, your time started. Oh, Nick, how do you know you're a good person? That is the question that haunts Eli Bell as he grows up in his Australian Housing Commission project in the 1980s as it's being gutted by South Asian heroin. His mother is lovely but unstable. His dad is an alcoholic bibliophile agoraphobe. His stepdad is knee-deep in a drug ring, and he is surrounded by violence, lies, double-dealing, and murder. It's a question that becomes more pressing as those things are happening to the people that he loves. It is an international bestseller published in 28 language being adopted for Netflix and recommended this week by Lithead Jill. Boy Swallows Universe. It's a book I'm awfully glad to have read this week. This sounds like a romp, an adventure. There is so much stuff in this And book. is this, this is fiction. So I have some things to say about true. that. It's like 50-50. It's 50-50. Fitty, um, fitty. Fitty, right. fitty. Fitty, fitty. Ian? Every coming-of-age novel has some central character-based conflict. What sets this protagonist apart? What makes them struggle to adapt to their world? The book I read this week has like seven of those. Deeply non-traditional family structure, questions of race and class and gender and sexuality and personal contradiction all make my book this week a memorable entry in a sometimes formulaic genre of coming-of-age stories, I brought On Earth, We're Briefly Gorgeous by Ocean Vong. It is a good title, too. It's a good really good title. I think and both you know of what? us have you know really what? good titles this week. He doesn't ever do the thing where he's like... Talk about the titles more. Where he puts the title in the book. You know? Because like, oh, sure. sometimes you, there's a really good title, and then you're reading the book, and there it is. <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. why we're briefly gorgeous. <laughs> I sure am sick of these Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Did you steal that joke, Joe? Yeah, but I don't know where from. I stole it from a guy in college. A guy in college, Alan. <laughs> not famous, though, so you can nope. take it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So, I mean, this book does not do that. Okay. Good job. He, he restrained himself. Joe, it's your birthday week. You're going first. (laughs) 
Nick, um, this week I brought a book that um, Lit Head Jill has recommended. It is uh, Boy Swallows Universe by a guy named Trent Dalton, which isn't that cool of a name until you realize that he's Australian. So his name is actually mm, like... does change the dynamic. It does. I don't think like, it does. I disagree he, well, on this point. What if he was from Antarctica? Mm-hmm. That doesn't make the name Trent <laughs> any better. Sorry, Trent, Lit Head Trent, and all you of the like other You don't like the name Trent? Trent? It's a great it sounds name. like trench. It sounds like trench. It does sound like trench. Who trenches are useful. They are extremely mm-hmm. critical to gardening. Mm-hmm. Warfare. Warfare. Wow. Thank yeah. you, Joe. Mm-hmm. It's also the name of Coats. a football quarterback who played for the Ravens, <laughs> Trent Dilfer. And Trent Dilfer was not <laughs> well, a very Dilfer's good quarterback, obviously a but the Ravens name. won the Super Bowl be- in kind of in spite of him. Okay. And so his yeah. name just says mediocrity to me. Joe, I sure hope this book is, is this not fresh mediocre. on your mind. <laughs> All right. Well, nope. I brought a book this it's week, It's a bone that I have picked. <laughs> okay. There will be no more the- uh, references to Baltimore players or football. <laughs> can, I talk about, can I talk about Philadelphia players? No. Joe, <laughs> tell us about your book. Trent Dalton's a reporter. Um, he, he's a reporter for um, a series of newspapers in Australia. He is a relatively famous reporter. And this book is, as I uh, talked about briefly before, about 50-50 fact and reality. It is based in his own childhood. Like the, the seed of this book starts in his own childhood, growing up in these Australian housing projects, surrounded by heroin and alcoholism and, and abuse and things like that. And it grows, um, this book then grows into something a little bit more fantastic is what I think. <laughs> oh, no. So, uh, because, supernatural <laughs> science fiction. Mm, so this book straddles genres is what Whoa. I would say. Yeah. Kinky. <laughs> count them count off with me. Um, I think there's four things happening. Here. Four things. Okay. Number one. I'll hold you to this. Number one. It's a coming of age book, right? Coming Number one, age. coming of age book. Number two, it is a gripping crime suspense and thriller book. That's four things by itself. Okay. Number three, there is a touching romance in this book. Touching romance? And number four, there is a vein of supernatural, maybe even magical realism that runs through this book. Perfect. Perfect. How old are the children who should be reading this book? Like what? What is? Oh, children, huh? Is this a a, a YA book? Is this a like? Is this for infants? Yeah. Yeah. I think think this book is for adults. I think this book would be it hard on I, I think it would actually be maybe not that interesting to a teenage reader it's a book that as an adult you read and you what did i just read somewhere recently where um i think it's a famous quote but it says something like life only makes sense in reverse but we have to live it forward I, i'm butchering it right but the, this is the idea like yeah, life only makes means. sense in retrospect that's why they call you the butcher but the curse is that we have to live it forward <laughs> this is very much a story that makes sense when it's in retrospect uh one of those books you got to finish we talked about oh, that last, i hate those uh, i prefer the i prefer <laughs> yeah. the ones that start off and say hey you can stop three quarters of the way through and you will not miss a thing right well, okay <laughs> good the, enough this, you made it <laughs> well this is kind of an interesting idea because like it, the seed of this book is his mother, right? His mom is, he loves his mom like so many of us do. He talks about his mom being, <laughs> he talks about his mom being like this, this beautiful, soft, like, like buoyant person who really, really had a tough life. And he says in an interview outside of this book, he says, look, I've worked as a reporter my entire life. I've met some fascinating people. Like I've interviewed the Dalai Lama. He's like, 
when people ask me who the most interesting person I've met though, it's my mom and it's not even close. Like her life is wild. Her life has been wild. And he says, and a few years ago, I was standing outside of, you know, just out with my mom and my daughters. And like, we were watching my daughter hamming it up, like doing something, um, just doing, you know, normal kid stuff. And Mm -hmm. my mom was watching her and my mom out of nowhere said, you know, uh, his name's not Eli. His name is Trent. He said, you know, Trent trench. If I had to do it all again to get to this moment, I would do it all again. Right. Like, you know, if I had to go through everything I went through to get to here, that's I would do it in a second. So he's legitimately saying my mother led a very interesting life, uh, not some sort of like extremely biased uh, opinion. Like I've interviewed everybody and I love like my mommy. No, no, it's not a cop out answer. It's not like, you know who I love is my mom. It's like, no, my mom is, was in the shit. Like my mom was in. So tell us about uh, this mother's uh, harrowing tale of heroin. Okay. So this book starts with a young uh, protagonist. That was good. That was really Mm -hmm. good. A young guy named Eli Bell. Eli Bell was the protagonist of this co- of this story. Eli Bell is a stand-in for Trent Dalton. Eli Bell is Trent Dalton in this book. Um, Eli Bell grows up and starts to realize, or is growing up and starts to realize that he lives in a very strange world. He Australia. Does, it's upside <laughs> there down. There are massive There's bugs everywhere. <laughs> he lives in, um, in a, pro- a housing project. In 1980s Australia, as a heroin epidemic is like sweeping through the housing project, his family, um, his mother, his stepfather, his father are all tangentially connected to this epidemic in various ways, either um, affected directly by it or directly like selling and harvesting and things like that. Um and and he's like, it was so strange growing up in a world in which like you realize that so many people that you love, your neighbors, your babysitter, your parents, your stepfather are involved in dangerous things. Right. Right. Uh, my, my parents, my parents were very much uh, some of them. They listen sometimes. I love you guys. They were not very dangerous. Love you too, guys. They were boring. And that was a good thing. Yep. Yeah. Right. Most people, b- b- boring parents are. um that's what you want, right? <laughs> yeah, you, I you think want so. boring parents. Yeah, so you I really you want to rebel as a, as a youth, and that's really only fun if you have boring parents. Mm, I feel absolutely. You know what I mean? If they're yeah. if they're doing heroin, it's like, all right, <laughs> <I'm out laughs> leave some for me. <laughs> I'm gonna rebel by going to the library. So, mm-hmm. um, okay, so he, but he's growing up with this, and and so that's that's the the dynamic there. And his his mother is she. What's her involvement in in H? Yeah, so her, his mother's involvement in, the, in heroin is in this book. She is a former user, right? Okay, she's she clean. Her. Yep, she she's clean now. Okay, um, but his stepfather, so like his mother's husband, is still. Um, true. Thank you for explaining what a stepfather. <laughs> Sorry. Well, sometimes it gets, you know, it's like, well, my brother-in-law can be a few it different is. There's people. a lot of characters yeah. in this show. You're doing a great job, yes. Joe. So, but his stepfather is still pretty involved in the, in the heroin trade, right? Like it's still Got pretty it. involved in, in selling things like that. Okay. All right. Now what? Now what? Yep. So that's the very first part of this book. It's the first right? page. This, that's page one. <laughs> All right. Page two, Joe, walk us through it. 
as this book goes on, it turns very much into a crime thriller. Like it is, mm-hmm. there. there's crime, twist. there is suspense. Yeah, there's a twist. Eli is kind of because of his family, because of where he grows up. He's pretty connected to like the crime world throughout this book. Um, his neighbor, for example, one of my favorite characters in this book is his neighbor, who also is his part-time babysitter, who is a two-time prison escapee, right? Amazing. Like, amazing. And this, um, by the way, um, I said this is like a 50-50 blend of like fact and reality. Uh, nope, fact and fake, uh, fact and fiction. This is real. Like his babysitter growing up is a man who was young, was convicted of killing Twice. a cab driver, went wow. to jail, That's escaped, <laughs> went back to jail, escaped again, served oh his time, God. and now <gasps> is like a retired criminal. And this is his babysitter. And the thing is, is his babysitter in this book? That got dark quick. Is Trent Dill for a filthy narc? Is he like, is he like my babysitter whose name is John Smith and can be found at this address? Like, okay. is he, is he blowing is up he this guy's spot? Yeah. Is he a filthy narc? Is he? Sa- it sounds like we know where this guy lives. I don't know why he's on. The- is he still? Is he going to prison? Um, his his babysitter has done his time. He is he has made himself um square with with the justice system, and also okay. he maintains that he didn't do it. Doesn't so sound, uh, okay. seems like seems like he's fine. It happens twice. You got to think something's wrong with that prison, right? Like they were forgetting to lock the doors. Do they, or, is it, is it have holes in the wall for ventilation? There's a hint, a vein, not not even a hint. There's a vein of supernatural that runs through this book. Eli Bell has a brother, an older brother named August. And August does not speak. He is mute. He's selectively mute or uh, mute by choice. He chooses not to speak. And he communicates with the world by like writing out messages with his finger in the air. And some of those messages are like normal messages like, hey, Eli, pass me the remote. But some of them are weirdly cryptic. And it seems like August, um, you know, he writes things in the air like, hey, Eli, your end is a dead blue wren. Your end is a dead blue man. Okay. Yeah. Or like at one point he just keeps writing this name over and over in the air. Caitlin spies, Caitlin spies, Caitlin spies. And Eli's like, I don't, I don't know what that means. And these things prove to be prescient in the book. They see, and it seems like August has some, it, it seems like August is, is tapped into something that the rest of us aren't tapped into. And this is where this book gets a little bit weird when you start thinking about it as like, a book that's based in fact, right? Like this is a book in which um, there is a, a secret room in their house with a red telephone that rings sometimes. And when you answer that red telephone, there's a person on the other side of it that gives you advice. And that person purport, purports to be from the future, right? And in the book, it's like, are they imagining this? Is this person from the future? Like, what the heck is happening here? Etc. So there's a vein of supernatural that runs through this. Joe, how long is this book? It is because- 500 pages oh, long. <laughs> that explains it. I was going to say, like, it, 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 it's not just like there's a lot of things that happen. It seems like there's a lot of journey. That a lot take, of DNFs on these one-star reviews, I'll tell you that. Wow. <laughs> um, okay, Joe, did you like this book? It's it feels like it should not work. A coming of age book that's a crime and suspense thriller with a romance in it and a vein of the supernatural. This book ties together in 
such a, an exciting and satisfying way. The climax of this book is so, so, so worth everything that goes up to it. How do you know that half of it's real? I mean, is half of it, you know what I mean? So obviously uh, the red phone thing, that happened. But uh, <laughs> what, how do, you, how do you know what of this book is fiction and what is made up? Did you read into the author or do you understand that in the book? You've stumbled into my Tiffany's for this week. In every interview, he talks about like, oh, yeah, what's real and what's not. It's it's like 50 50. And he'll like give hints like he'll be like, yeah, no, Slim oh. Slim Halliday was actually my babysitter growing up. Right. We actually had a red phone, like stuff like this. But like when I read this, knowing that some of it is true and some of it isn't, I'm just like, what? Some of this is sometimes insane. that's distracting. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like sometimes that is completely takes me out of any story if I know that it's partially real. It's mm-hmm. like watching a, a biopic, right? It's like right. all I can think is like, did that actually happen? You start did that actually happen? <laughs> this is yeah. this is the the risk of the the novel style called called the Romana Clef or novel with a key, where you know like, oh, this co- character corresponds to that character, this co- character corresponds to that, this event corresponds to that event. We maybe stop thinking about what's actually happening happening, and we just focus on, um, is this real? Is this real? That's mm-hmm. not real. Oh, okay. I know that's true. So if you read this book, don't do that. If you read this book, don't <laughs> listen to this podcast episode first. Yeah, turn, turn this off. This is a really I, I brought a really it's a very strange book. Um, my author is primarily known as a as a poet. Um, he has won basically every award there is. Um, he is 34 wow. years old. It's really wow. impressive. Wow. He's 34 start. years old, which makes him younger than all of them. Two thirds, two thirds of this podcast. I hate this guy. This guy sounds horrible. <laughs> you said he's 37. So young. 30, 34. He's a tenured <laughs> professor at NYU. Uh, he has oh received a MacArthur Genius Grant. It's, um, don't you hate it when people are this good at life? Can you imagine being this guy's brother? <laughs> like a forgotten Hemsworth. <laughs> one, of my, one of my like favorite things, I don't really know where to put this, so I'll just say it here when I'm talking about how great Ocean Fong is. He is a member of the Future Library Project. Do you guys know about this? Tell us about, about it, about this? Tell us about it. So the Future Library Project is I, I guess kind of like public art um it it asks big name authors to write a book and then give the foundation the rights so it won't be published until 2114 so okay. authors like margaret atwood and david mitchell and ocean vong have written original works, not things which are published elsewhere, not things they talk about in interviews, nothing excerpted. It's all new, all yeah. original. And then it gets locked in a vault for a hundred years. Wow. Okay. Wow. What's and, the point? Um, I think part of it is, so there's, there's kind of an, an ecological side. <laughs> well, of it. What if they were um, all stinkers? <laughs> <laughs> well, you hope not, right? I think, ah. I think it's an engagement with the idea of building a canon. It's saying like, hey, in 2014, we think these authors are super important. So we're going to we're going to enshrine almost literally enshrine their work. It's also kind of playing with um, the idea that something isn't a classic until the author is dead. None of these people 
unless we develop cryogenic technology, will be able to see the public reaction to their work. And none of us, you, me, litheads, unless again, babies, baby, baby litheads. My kids, my kids might be, might read these books and they're like super old. I love the idea that like, first off, I think that's really stupid. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's just incredibly ego driven. Uh, But I I also like the idea that like, that's so like, I don't know. Don't you think a work has to be appreciated in its time to like gain some sort of relevance? I just feel like. This is the question, right? I I just don't know. Like I, I ask myself, like, what would I put in there? Because if I wrote something and it was really good. I'm, I'm releasing that shit now. You know, like I'm putting that out now. That's not right. for future humans. Like, like right. who knows? Everybody knows by the year 2114, the world is going to be in a post-apocalyptic hellscape. Absolutely. And nothing you write is going to be relevant at that time. Well, and also how much of it is going to be cancelable? I mean, virtually the entire thing. <laughs> oh my God. Every book that we read uh, that's 100 years old is like, well, this author was a horrible person. <laughs> he, he has said. I want people to remember. They talk about eating meat in this novel. How dare yeah. they? How dare they? Here's fast fashion. Um, Vong has said this is kind of a, a mind trip for him. Right. Um, he says. Writing for a future audience. So much of publishing is about seeing your name in the world. This is the opposite. Putting the future ghost of you forward. You and I will have to die in order for us to get these texts. Well, he's uh, he's better than us and smarter than us. So I assume it's it's probably a great idea. He's and I'm he's probably a good choice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let me talk about this book. So, yeah, yes. it'd be good to talk about the book. And the reason part of the reason I start by talking about him is that uh, where Joe's book is maybe 50 50. Um, my book is maybe 99 one um, um. where 99 percent of it is true and one oh, okay. percent of it is different so he changes names um he mm-hmm. changes a few locations but this is kind of a memoir this is a poet writing a novel that's really a memoir like this is a novel this is Classic. fiction but it's it's really it's really kind of him a poet writing a memoir for the future no mm-hmm. well this um, one's not, not for the future, future. this one's for, for the now it's for published for, for, and this now was the new york times bestseller <laughs> what generation is this for <laughs> Um, this is for the future robots who That's are integrated, it. fully cyborged. Poet. Is this like a poetry book? It's it's not. It's There's a poetry it to a, it though. It's it's a straight up novel. I mean, there are there are a couple of chapters where he sort of breaks into poetry and it kind of feels like I can almost <laughs> like I can battle. almost feel him like I can't handle this anymore. I have to do poetry. I gotta get some poetry <laughs> on here, yeah. There, and and even the the prose is is poetic. Um his poetry works on the concept of juxtaposition. So we take images, we take motifs, we take themes that seem very different. We put them side by side and we make meaning out of that kind of weird, like these shouldn't fit, but they do. Um, and the book does the book does something very similar. There's a ton of flashbacks. There's a ton of kind of limited first person point of view where he's like, here's what I saw. Here's what I remember. He talks about this fire that happened in their house and we never get a clear picture of it because he was super young when it happened. Yeah. So I guess so he ha- obviously has a very interesting life, I would assume, since he's won every award that's ever been invented and most likely even future awards. Yep. Once his yeah. uh, oh, books yeah. are that's, correct, I think that's two. what this future library thing is about. He's, he's like, like, I've won all, all these modern get some future awards, awards, but what about the ones 100 years from now? There's going to be new awards. Right, 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 right. Vong was born in Vietnam and um, his his mom is Vietnamese and his dad was um, uh, an American who he never met. 
he they come to America and was he over there during the war? Like, what is his, the timeline? Here? His his grandma. So he's he's 34. So he was born in 88. His grandma and his mom were. And a big part of this, a big part of this book and a big part of his experience, like is sort of the scars of Vietnam on Jesus. <laughs> yes. OK. I mean, does he go into that in the book or, or is that part of the book? Is Tim yes, trying to figure absolutely. out who his dad is or? No, not so much. Um, there, there's, there is a lot, a lot of emphasis on mom and grandma because those are the ones that that are raising this character that are raising um, uh, the character's name, Little Dog, um, because you don't want to name your kid like a cool name, like like Chad, because then the evil spirits will come or and they'll, they'll take the, the people trench. with or trench. You'll they'll take the people with the cool names. So you want to name your child something crappy, so the when the evil spirits come, they don't take. The, the, the ones with the crappy names makes a lot of sense is that that one percent good logic <laughs> i'm thinking i'm thinking i might go back and uh rename my two kids they would love that so a, a, a lot of this book is him and his mom and his grandma uh struggling uh to make it not just sort of um in a society in american they come to america and in an american society that isn't super hospitable to them but also right. um they mom and grandma are both really scarred not just from the vietnam conflict but also um mom was um a survivor of trauma like she was abused her her um some of the men in her life have been really brutal to her so there's was a, his dad an abuser like dad's you know dad's what I'm not, saying? Da, yes yes dad dad was dad's not around anymore um but there's like there's like just a lot of a lot of sort of the, 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 the word I, the word I keep, the phrase I keep coming back to is generational trauma. The idea that things that happen kind of farther back kind of trickle down, not just in terms of, Hey, grandma's grandma has schizophrenia and we can't always tell whether what world she's in, but also physically, physiologically, there has been research that demonstrates that physiological trauma to a mother will have a physiological effect on the child and so on. So, there is this legacy, this legacy of trauma. And on top of that, little dog himself gets into a lot of stuff. Some of it like there, there's drugs in my book too, baby. He's like, I didn't Excellent. do heroin. I didn't do heroin because I was a, a chicken about needles. <laughs> Otherwise <laughs> yeah. I probably would have. Yeah. That's, that's smart though. Needles. That's why I haven't done I mean, it. I'm not putting I, <laughs> Yeah. As far as reasons not to do heroin. Yeah. It's up there. Um, okay. Is this a hopeful book or what, what's the point of this book? It then? Is. Why is he sharing his story? It seems like, okay. This guy's won every award as we've, uh, yes. Firmly established. Established. Yes. Is this guy, is he, this is like classic, like I'm going to overcompensate and be the, the most successful person ever. Right. Like mm. there's a reason there's rags to riches stories. Like, I don't know what my question is, but is that yeah. <laughs> sounds like an accusation more than anything. <laughs> so you ask about you ask about hope. And I think the rags to riches piece is this. He early on seems to be pretty aware that like violence, oppression, hatred affect him. Um, but he's not. He refuses to be shaped by them and he's not going to bow to them. And there are these beautiful yeah. moments which he insists on kind of seeding throughout um, the text. There's one where he and Trevor are kind of biking around town uh, around Hartford, Connecticut um, and like screaming expletives at the Coca-Cola factory and just being like gen general hooligan teens. Uh, there have been some drugs. Um, it's, it's just sort of like, it seems like it's heading for 
the, the, the vignette feels like it's heading for um, kind of a downer ending. And then they're up on top of this little mountain. Um, and I'm just going to read it here because it's so good. Uh, he, Trevor, he was about to say something else. His teeth gray pills in the moonlight then got up and stumbled toward his bike. I picked up my own, the steel already wet with dew. And that's when I saw it. Actually, Trevor saw it first, letting out an almost imperceptible gasp. I turned around and we just both stood there leaning against our bikes. It was Hartford. It was a cluster of light that pulsed with a force I never realized it possessed. Maybe it was because his breaths were so clear to me then how I imagined the oxygen in his throat, his lungs, the bronchi and blood vessels expanding, how it moved through all the places I'll never see that I keep returning to this most basic measurement of life even long after he's gone. But for now, the city brims before us with a strange, rare brilliance, as if it was not a city at all, but the sparks made by some god sharpening his weapons above us. So in this kind of teenagers being hooligans, the darkness, they just turn around and by happenstance, they see this glorious, beautiful sight, their city like they've never seen it before. And he's transported. He has this sort of this almost divine experience where he's imagining the city as a product of uh, uh, of God, uh, of, of a God sharpening his weapons. It's, it is hopeful because there are these moments of beauty in all of the misery in all of the darkness, there is love. And in all of the trauma, there is light. Gentlemen, Welcome to Tiffany's, a safe place for you to tell me all the terrible things about your books. Joe, you already went. You said I that. Um, I said it's hard uh, to know what's real in this book and what's not. And at times right, it can be distracting. That drives, that drives a neurotic person crazy. Ian. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, Ian. Ian, tell some real shit about this book. Is it his name? You don't like his name? <laughs> no. One of my friends said, uh, Vong speaks the way I imagine poets to speak. And if you like the way poets speak, yes. <laughs> yeah. If if you're, I mean, we talked about jazz a couple of weeks ago. If you're like, yeah. ooh, jazz, oh, ooh, poetry, jazz. you might not like this very much. I right. think it's amazing. I think this it, this does sound like this the speaking the way we imagine poets to speak. But if you don't love it, then pfft, you might you might not. You might be a redneck. Fair well, warning, like heads. You might be a redneck. <laughs> <laughs> well, just in the piece that you read, like it's so. You know, poetry can be so elusive, I guess. Like, poetry can be so elusive. And, like, when poetry is done well, or when you have a poem that really hits you, like, it's, it, it reveals some beauty or reveals some truth in an incredibly efficient way. Efficient is not yep. maybe the right yep. word, but an incredibly, like, surprising way, maybe. Something like that. And, like, when he talks about, like, the, the lights of the city being, like, the sparks of a god sharpening his weapon, like, I have this moment where I'm like, Jesus Christ. That's awesome. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. Like I can see that. And what a different way to think about it, which is great in a book, but like, you don't want to stand by that guy. At that's a good dinner point. Party. Joe, yeah. you lose. <laughs> Ian, this oh. book sounds very interesting. Um, and we did the math 99% versus Joe, only 50%. 50, 50, 50. Oh, and the higher it's a, it's percent, game. that's yeah. what you want. It's just mathematics. Yeah. Ian, you know that yeah. you're a mathematician. As a um, mathematician this week. Right. 
I can and confirm. I, I do really love this streak of Joe losing. It's kind of yeah, it's fun, fun a little bit, it's isn't it? Hey, I think it sets isn't me it just up for kind a of something redemption fun? arc. It sets me up for a great redemption arc. Ian, this will only end well for you. Yeah, great. I can't wait. <laughs> Congratulations, Ocean Vong, who has won yet another. Yeah, yet another again. Ocean Wong. This is really until this those guy's books published in 20, 2114, This is probably the pinnacle for him. All right. Well, congratulations, Ian. Congratulations, Ocean Young. Congratulations, Congratulations, Lidheads. Lidheads, if you want to hear, thank you very much. If you want to hear us talk about your book and lose, uh, you can head on over to youdon'tknowlitpodcast.com. Suggest a book, request, suggest a theme, request a sticky. You can always, of course, head to the podcast player of your choice and leave a review, rate, uh, rate and review. And of the best thing that you can do for the podcast is to tell a bookish friend about it. Congratulations, Ian. He does this thing where he kind of gives you, it's not a moral, he's big into morals. He's big into like, uh, not secret learning, but explicit learning. Um, and so he he drops these little vignettes and ends them with an aphorism, a proverb. So this is an example, fairly brief. Cocaine laced with oxycodone makes everything fast and still at once. Like when you're on the train and gazing across the fogged New England fields at the brick Colt factory where cousin Victor works, you see its blackened smokestack parallel to the train like it's following you. Like where you're from won't let you off the hook. Too much joy, I swear, is lost in our desperation to keep it. 